Okay, so we're going to keep going with Luke. I think we're going to try to do Luke 4 and 5 today and maybe a little bit of 6. So we'll see see how far we get on this. Uh, and also to give people a little bit more time to come in, we're going to rehash um, the first section of this. Some of this is a repeat, but... The Gospel according to Luke is one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and it's actually part one of a unified two-volume work, Luke Acts. If you compare the opening lines of both of these books, it's clear that they come from the same author, and there are internal clues in the book of Acts, as well as an early tradition that identifies the author as Luke, the traveling companion and co-worker of Paul the Apostle, who we know was also a doctor. Luke opens his work with a preface, telling us how and why he wrote this book. He acknowledges that there's many other fine accounts of Jesus' life out there, but he wanted to go back to the eyewitness traditions of as many early disciples as he could in order to produce what he calls an orderly account about the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now that word fulfilled shows us why Luke wrote this account. For him, the story of Jesus isn't just ancient history. He wants to show how it's the fulfillment of the long covenant story of God in Israel, and bigger than that, of the story of God and the whole world. The book's design is fairly clear. There's a long introduction that sets up the stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. Then in chapters 3 to 9, Luke presents a robust portrait of Jesus and his mission in his home region of Galilee. After that, the large midsection of the book is Jesus' long journey to Jerusalem, which leads to the story's climax, Jesus' final week in Jerusalem leading up to his death and resurrection, which then leads on into the book of Acts. In this video, we're just going to focus on the first half of Luke's Gospel. The extended introduction tells in parallel the birth stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. So you have this elderly priestly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then this young unmarried woman, Mary and Joseph. They both receive an unlikely divine promise that they're going to have a son. Both promises are fulfilled then, as John and then Jesus are born, and both parents sing poems of celebration. Now these poetic songs, they're filled with echoes from the Old Testament, Psalms and prophets, showing how these children will fulfill God's ancient promises. But these poems also preview each child's role in the story to follow. So John is the prophetic messenger promised in the Torah and the prophets who's going to prepare Israel to meet their God. And Jesus, he's the messianic king promised to David, who's going to bring God's reign over Israel and God's blessing to the nations, just like he promised to Abraham. After this, Mary brings Jesus to the Jerusalem temple for his dedication, and two elderly prophets, Anna and Simeon, they see Jesus and they recognize who he is. And Simeon sings his own song, a poem inspired by the prophet Isaiah. He says, this child is God's salvation for Israel, and he will become a light to the nations. So with all this anticipation, the story moves forward into the next main section, where Luke presents Jesus and his mission. He sets the stage with John's renewal movement of the Jordan River, where he's calling a new, repentant, recommitted Israel into existence through baptism. He's preparing for the arrival of God's kingdom. And then Jesus appears as the leader of this new Israel, and he's marked out by the Spirit and the voice of God from heaven. He is the beloved Son of God. After this, Luke follows with the genealogy, and it traces Jesus' origins back to David, then back to Abraham, and then all the way back to Adam from the book of Genesis. Luke's claiming here that Jesus is the messianic king of Israel who will bring God's blessing, but not only to Israel, the family of Abraham. He is here for all the sons of Adam, for all humanity. 
After this, Luke has strategically placed the story of Jesus going to his hometown, Nazareth, where he launches a public mission. At a synagogue gathering, Jesus stands up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and freedom for the prisoners, new sight for the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. Now, along with the other Gospels, Jesus is presented here, he's the Messianic King, bringing the good news of God's kingdom. But what Luke uniquely highlights are the social implications of Jesus' mission. So he brings freedom. The Greek word is aphasis. It literally means release, and it refers to the ancient Jewish practice of the year of Jubilee, described in Leviticus 25. It's when all Israelite slaves were released, when people's debts were canceled, when land that was sold is returned back to families. It's all a symbolic reenactment of God's liberating justice and mercy. And then Jesus says that this good news of release is specifically for the poor. Now, in the Old Testament, the poor, or in Hebrew, ani, it's a much broader category than just people who don't have very much money. It refers also to people of low social status in their culture, like people with disabilities, or women, and children, and the elderly. It also can include social outsiders, like people of other ethnic groups, or people whose poor life choices have placed them outside acceptable religious circles. And Jesus says that God's kingdom is especially good news for these people. So after this, Luke immediately puts in front of us a large block of stories, showing us what Jesus' good news for the poor looks like. It involves the healing of a bedridden sick woman, or a man who has a skin disease, or someone who's paralyzed. There are stories here also about Jesus welcoming into his community a tax collector, like Levi, who's not financially poor, but he is a social outsider. There's a story about Jesus forgiving a prostitute. Luke showing us how Jesus' kingdom brought restoration and reversal of people's whole life circumstances. He's expanding the circle of people who get invited in to discover the healing power of God's kingdom. And as Jesus' mission attracts a large following, he does something even more provocative. He forms these people into a new Israel by appointing over them the 12 disciples as leaders corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, we're going to stop there. I don't want to get too far ahead. That may not make it that far. Uh, that's that's Josh, or, uh, Jeff's ball to, to carry, if he so chooses, forward uh, next week. Uh, all right, so we're going to jump into Luke 4. Uh, Uh-oh. You know, I'll just I'll just go with my. Uh, I need to connect. All right, sorry about that. Um, so before this, yes. Remember in chapter three last week. I'm not gonna go there because my my computer might freak out. Uh, it ended with what well, we ended with the the baptism. Excuse me, of Jesus. And then the uh, genealogy that went all the way back, not just to Abraham, but all the way to um, Adam. Right? We talked about how there's, there's somewhat differences there. So then we enter into this, uh, is right after that, you know, his baptism, his, his kind of being chosen, this, this word of God coming uh, to him, and then his genealogy. So Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days. When they were over, he was famished. And the devil said to him, 
If you are the Son of God, command these, this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live on bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in, in the instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, and It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed him until an opportune time. Let's just make a few comments about this quickly together. And you've, Many of you have read this before. One of the things that's unique here to Luke, Luke has an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan, from the Jordan. Maybe, you know, it's, it's saying from the Jordan because previously that's where the Jordan he was baptized, right? He's coming from there goes immediately perhaps from his baptism out to this wilderness. But Luke points out, full of the Holy Spirit. And as we know like later, you know, all throughout Luke, you'll see spiritual things happening. And Luke points out a couple things that Matthew doesn't, too, about the devil um, in this. One, one thing is, uh, you know, he fleshes out the, some of the, the sayings of, of, of the devil, I think verse 6 maybe is, is unique to Luke 6 and 7. Do you all give their glory you know, and all this uh, for it's been given to me? Over, so, so one of these parts is, is a little more fleshed out here in Luke. And Luke also flips the, the order for some reason that, so that they, from Matthew's account. Matt, they both have changing the stones to bread first. And then Luke has the take you up and show you the world next and then take you up to the top of the temple as the third one. Matthew, for some reason, has slipped those. Perhaps it's Luke's emphasis on the temple. Like, we see that over and over. It's like, like Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he, and he ends up going and spending a lot of time in the temple. Um, but I, I don't really know why. You know, I don't know why. That it's, it's a different order. Um, but one of the cool things that you, we see in this passage, of course, is we see how Jesus responds. He responds with the Word of God, right? He says, um, he knows his, his, his Bible. He quotes some things from Deuteronomy. He uses something from Deuteronomy 8. The man shall not live forever by bread alone. Uh, he uses Deuteronomy 6 a couple times. So he, he's, you know, um, and then also we see that the devil here knows his Bible as well. He quotes something, I think this is Psalm 91 back to Jesus, but then Jesus retorts back with, with uh, it, is, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So I think that's from Deuteronomy 6 again. And so like, it's, it's a way to, that we see this spiritual spiritual battle or warfare or, or it happening. And at verse 13, I think is also unique to Luke. When the devil had finished every test, he departed him until an opportune time. And I, I learned this from Josh. Just this, and I probably y'all remember this as well. He he points this out and whenever Judas comes to uh, betray Jesus, says in you know, and the devil 
enters into Judas at this point. I, I don't I don't know which chapter off the top of my head where it is. But later on in Luke, it, it says that, that the devil is involved in that act of Judas, you know, betraying Jesus. I'm kinda of, I'm I've kind of paraphrased that. I didn't get it exactly right. But but that that it's kind of allusion to like maybe that's the opportune time where where the devil has chosen to come back to. So then this is uh you know, in a really important, kind of pivotal part in where he, Jesus, stands up and, and in that video it talks about him uh, reading from this, the scroll of Isaiah. And we're going to talk about this now. And then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. That's the northern part north of, of Israel. And a report about him spread throughout the surrounding country. And he began to teach there in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, his hometown, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. So he was, he was a, a good Jew. This was something that he was, uh, did regularly. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. <clears throat> so he's standing up to read, and then in a moment he's going to sit down to talk about it, right? That's part of their tradition of, um, in the synagogue, is you stand up to give the word of the Lord and read from the scripture, and then you sit down and, and uh, give commentary on what's been talked about, right? And, that's, and then, they, then you discuss. That's one of the cool parts about synagogue is you, that you, like, there's not necessarily a preacher, so, so I'm told you, you just read the, the Bible, and then you argue about it. <laughs> so it's a good way to, to do a Bible study even today. Uh, so read it, and then, then talk about it. Um, but he, he unrolled the scroll and found that I've read... Uh, my, I don't do. I, I've had Greek and Hebrew in the past, but honestly, it's a long time ago, and I don't know much about it. I just read commentaries now. But this word "found," so I'm so told, is is filled with intent. Um, this idea that it wasn't like he just opened it up like, "Oh, well, let's read this passage today." No, it was like he went to the, seeking out this passage. He read this specific passage on purpose. He found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes in all the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him. And were amazed at the gracious words coming from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? So, so he says this, this, these things that are very you know, prophetic. You know, he says that he goes to this, this uh, passage of scripture talking about the poor and the, and the captives and the blind and the oppressed. And this to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, and then that video it talked about, you know, for them to proclaim the release like this, this, idea of them being freed from, from these things, these burdens. But, and also, to point out that Luke's pointing out here again, that another spirit connection, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Um, he's pulling this up from Isaiah. So things are good at this point in verse 22. All who spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? You know, is this not the guy that we know who's been living with us? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote this proverb to me, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you, you did at Capernaum. 
and he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is acceptable in the pro- accepted in the prophet's hometown. Okay, so he's, he's setting up saying, okay, this is, this is not, you know, you're about to uh, call, call me out. You're saying, hey, I want you to do the things, you know, doctor, cure yourself. You know, show me the miracles that you've been doing in other places. And he's saying that prophets, you know, won't be accepted in their hometown, his hometown of Nazareth here. Uh, and then these are, these are the things that he says that makes them very upset. At this point, they're probably okay with it. But this next part, not so much. Verse 25, but the truth is there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months and there was a severe famine over the land. But yet Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all the synagogue was filled with rage. They got up, they drove him out of town, and they led him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built, so that they might hurl him off a cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. So why is it that made them so mad that he was about to be thrown off a cliff? What, what, what about these two instances, uh, these two stories? Why did they not like these? Sure, well, what, I mean, what do you think? You see any connection with them? Uh, or, well, look, so I mean, here again we see Luke loving to, to do, or at least you know, bringing up a time when Jesus talked about a man and a woman again. He gives two examples. But these men and women are, they're both Gentiles, right? He, he says, here's, here's some miracles that were done. First, he, he's pulling out their, their history books. He first he pulls one from 1 Kings. Or of Elijah, then Second Kings with Elisha. So confusing, right? Elisha was after Elijah, you know. But so Elijah, he says, um, there there were many. Jesus says there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when there was this big famine that they, they remember for three years. It, I mean, excuse me, yeah, famine over the rain because of a of a of a drought, right? But Elisha was sent to none of those people in Israel, but he was sent to. The widow at Zarephath and Sidon. I don't remember exactly where that is, but it's not—it's not in Israel. Where do you remember, Jeff? Sidon is up in what we call Lebanon today. It's up on the coast. Okay. Yeah, it's up on the coast. And, and the important cultural thing is, those are the guys. They were the Assyrians who conquered the northern tribes. Right. The tribes. Yes. I, I did. They were their uh, their enemies for sure. Okay. The ones who end up conquering them. Uh, what else? Do you have any, something else? Or I don't want to cut you off. Well, it's uh, the cultural is Nazareth is a uh, was a city started by true believers. It was 100 Jewish, and it would be like a, a church plant today. So they came from the south. You know, where's Joseph from? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. They came from the south. They went up into this mixed area that used to be Israel mm-hmm. and, and planted what was a very hardcore Jewish believer city. Mm-hmm. So these are not just ethnic Jews. Right. These are like hardcore. Like we, we've moved here on purpose, right? Yes. We've okay. moved here on purpose because this used to be Israel and we are going to be true believers. Right. And you've mentioned before that 
Nazareth is a very small yep. place, right? Um, so, okay, he, he says, he references this story where a, a, a uh, Gentile woman was the benefactor of God's grace, right? And then he says, there are also many lepers in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed of Naaman the Syrian, who is also one of their oppressors, right? Uh, and and he, he was one who, um, it's a great story in 2 Kings, where he, he comes and he is reluctant at first to receive, he's told to go and you know, dunk himself in this dirty river, and he says, what about this river? We have better rivers at home, why am I going to go do this? And then the, his servant convinces it too. And then he, so he does, and he's cleansed. And then, in a twist, a twist of faith, like he tries to offer some, some money to, to pay Elisha. And he's like, no, no. The glory goes to God. And then Elisha's servant, I can't remember his name right now, takes the money. He, like he runs after Naaman, and he, and he gets the money from him. And then he comes back, and he's cursed. Because, and, and the leprosy of Naaman falls on him because of his greed. And so it's like this, it's this story about about the reversal of someone who's, who's an, you know, a, a Gentile is blessed and then the, the greedy Israelite is cursed with the leprosy. And so when they heard this, he's, he's comparing, you know, he's saying, I, I'm here to give to these oppressed, like this, this message, they, when they first hear, hey, I, I'm here to bring good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim release of the captives, sight for the blind. Let the oppressed go free. Proclaim the year's Lord's favor. They're like, all right, you know, we got that here in Israel. You know, but then, then so like, okay, show us that stuff. Do the do the things for us here. And then he's he says, no, it's it's not just for you, Israel. It's for everyone. It's for the, the Gentile, the, the one people that they, they they don't expect. And then then they hear this. They're filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town. They led him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built, so they might hurl him off a cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Previously, just early in this chapter, he was up on top of the hill and the, the devil showed him the entire world. And then he was also on top of the temple and the, he said, hey, throw yourself off. And Jesus says no. And he, he, he also kind of passes through his midst and leaves. And this, so here's another instance where he was asked to, or going to be, hurtled off of a high, high peak where he passes through and, and says... This is not this is not the thing that's going to happen now. You know what the d- dynamic of this conversation reminds me of? What is it? Re- it reminds me of the ways that conversations about white privilege play out. Hmm. What, what what ways? Well, go back go back to what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, keep above. Going. All right, right there. Okay, so he says all of this stuff, mm-hmm. and. The people in Nazareth, the good Jews that he's speaking to, are going, cool, this is for us. Right. We are these people. Give us these things. Right. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is, this is not for. Only you. But he doesn't say it's not only for you. Right. He makes a point of saying right. this is not, that the, that the other times that this has happened, there were all sorts of people like you. And we didn't give it to any, and the prophets weren't called for any of them. It's like, and, and, and so he's, one of the things that's going on here is he's like, you guys have this. You have had this message. You have benefited from this message for all of these hundreds and thousands of years. Right. And 
part of the reason that this message is going to all of these other people is because you've had the chance to do this all along and you haven't done it. Right. And so now we are opening it up so that everybody can get the benefits that you have had available to you for low these hundreds and thousands of years. Right. Right. And you thought it was you thought it was all coming to you, that it was all going to be about you, right. but it is not. All of, all of the great privileges that you have had by being the people of God, we <laughs> are going to bring everybody in right. for that. Yeah. And, and the conversation, if you've, if, you've had if you've had conversations with people that don't understand mm -hmm. the concept of how privileged we, we are to right. be where we are right. in this place in this time. Right. You know, they you you, you and you bring the message of God. <laughs> here you go, great, this is for us. This is what we've been saying right. all along. This is what we've been wanting all along. And it's really hard to make that connection. And when you go, yeah, all of these great things, it's time for other people to have them. Right. They get really ticked off right. with you. Right. I mean, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot in there. I mean, he said so that one of the things here is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. There's this idea of this, this anointing is going back to who do you anoint? Well, you anoint kings and you also anoint high priests, too, in, in the story of Israel, right? But so Jesus is, you know, it's also always connecting him back to David and this line of David and the, the, the pinnacle, ultimate king of Israel's time. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. That's a, that's a loaded phrase. The Spirit of the Lord. Oftentimes in, in Judges, the Spirit of the Lord would be this, this thing that would come of this authority that was given to someone at the time to, um, to, to be God's uh, person who changes things around. right? Maybe not exactly in the, this idea of the Holy Spirit as we think about it indwelling us in, in the, the Judges book. But, but in here, I think perhaps it's it's doing both at this point, in my view. Like you know, because because we know it's Luke who's recording this, and we know how much the Holy Spirit plays into it in the future. But I want to say it's not completely for Israel, because in a, in a minute here, we, we're going to go on, and we're going to start seeing him do all these good things for you know Jewish people here. Start healing, but it's not basically for the Jewish people that he that we expect, right? It's for these these poor and these blind, these in the in the especially poor and blind, specifically those and the outcasts, right, are the ones who get seen, uh, you know, as, as, as the healers, as, as the one. And, and Luke, especially, like you're talking point about, is that Luke loves to make the Gentiles the heroes in these stories. The ones who actually see uh, and, and are, are benefited and are, see, see the, and are praised for their faith, you know. Um, and the, so yeah, so let's keep going. Then um, he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astounded at his teaching because he spoke with authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit and an unclean demon, and had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone, what have you to do with us, Jesus, son of, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down before them, he came out of him without having done any harm. Him any harm. 
They were all amazed and kept saying to one another, What kind of utterance is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And a report about him began to receive uh, reach every place in his region. So who is it maybe here? Is this the... I don't know if this is the first time in the, in the gospel, but it maybe is it. It's the first time when he's an adult. I mean, okay, yeah. it's the first time since Anna and Simeon. I mean, <laughs> right. You got to go back thirty years when they said this is the. I mean, they look at it. This is the Messiah. Yeah. Right. And everyone kind of ignores it. So the first person who says in the Book of Luke is a demon. Right. I know who you are. Yeah. The Holy One of God. And then well, Jesus actually, says, the devil, the devil says he is. Right. He said, yeah, that's right. You, but he doesn't tell him. the first one that says it in He doesn't tell anyone else. But the second one is a demon. Right. And think about this is written to the Greeks. Right. They have gods of the underworld. Mm-hmm. And they have demons. Mm-hmm. So to them, you know, you have good gods and bad gods. And the fact that Luke yeah. is saying the first two people to recognize him. The evil from spiritual God, from, forces. From gods of the underworld. Right. Yes. And then Luke is over and over, I mean, you know, I guess all the Gospels are, but um, building up Jesus' authority. People start showing, you know, this is, like, they respond to Jesus and they show his authority. Like, the people earlier in the, in the synagogue in this place are saying, they are astounded at his teaching because he spoke with authority. Right? And, and, um, that people just respond to Jesus because he has this um, this gravitas about him. This um, Andy, may I ask? Yeah, please do. And Jeff can chime in on this as well. Uh, remind me of uh, when this was written and to what group of Gentiles and where do you think this was written? So, what would be the time period? I, and we're, we're, we're thinking this is probably early 60s. Uh, early to late 60s. To a, to a Gentile written, population. <coughs> primarily to Gentiles, probably from Syria, up in that Syria area, Antioch. Uh, and that, well, it, it would have taken him a long period of time because he researched it. You know, if you think yeah. that he's where he's traveling with Paul and without Paul during this period, he clearly is researching this over a period of years. And I don't know if, if this thought that I'm going to express is helpful to anyone else, but maybe me. And I'm, I'm not, it's just a filter that I feel like as we look through this, we need, as we look at this, we need to run some of this through. Is that I think sometimes we forget that these things are written in a time period and to a group of people after the occurrence of these events. It's, right. And they're written for a purpose to help groups of people a church. These are really no different than the letters of Paul in a way. They are written to help churches acclimate to this new message to Gentiles and Jewish churches and I'm not sure if there was a mix of Jews and Gentiles within this group or not. Probably were. But a lot of this is written with a view toward helping the existing churches understand Jesus' message and how they are to relate to each other. So his use of uh, examples, uh, Luke's recording these examples of the uh, of Naaman mm-hmm. and of uh, 
the widow in Sidon, were meant to portray a particular message right. to the people in the 60s mm -hmm. who were trying to put together a, uh, a group of people made up of Jews and Gentiles. There is a message given Absolutely. to them. The material is chosen mm -hmm. for that particular time and place. Yeah, we can see how he's crafted this together to, um, you know, one of the points I think you're making is that to, um, for, for a church that is, is open to Gentiles, that, that it is like where, where Gentiles are, yes. are be, being able to make sense of, um, this is our story too, you know, this, I think it's one of the reasons why Luke connects his genealogy all the way back to Adam, rather than stopping with Abraham. Matthew was, was a lot, his perspective seems to be more for a, a Jewish audience in some ways. And then Luke has, has much more concern about trying to get everyone um, from a, a Gentile perspective or, or just like say, this is not just a Jewish story, this is a right. story about humanity. And I think the things that are recorded about what Jesus said here are recorded for a particular purpose. Right. It implies to me in the text that he said a lot of other things that aren't recorded by right. Luke here. So he recorded these particular ones for a particular purpose for the audience that he was presenting this to, which I take to be the church, mm -hmm. that he was trying to help them understand some things like what you were talking about. Right. Yeah. Thank you. So... After leaving the synagogue, verse 38 here, he entered Simon's house, um, Simon Peter, right? Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. Then he stood up over her and rebuked her, the fever, and it left her. And immediately she got up and began to serve them. And as the sun was setting, all those who, had any, uh, who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them, here, uh, to, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Demons also came out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Messiah. And at daybreak he departed and went into a desert, deserted place. And the crowds were looking for him, and when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message uh, in the synagogues of Judea. Um, I want us to do a little exercise here. This will be our, our last uh, kind of point here we get to do. But let me find my cursor. Uh, sometimes I lose it. Okay. Now. Uh, so. Well, that's. I didn't save it correctly, but that's fine. I changed the... Okay, imagine if you place yourself in, the, in this story. I'm going to read this passage again. I just read this kind of ending passage. Um, and think we're going to use it as an exercise of, um, like, take a, t maybe either take a character in this story and put yourself into it, excluding Jesus... Don't, don't be Jesus in the story. But, but someone else in the story, maybe a, a nameless bystander, you could even be a tree or a bush or, you know, whatever. Um, be someone in the story and put yourself into it. And, and then I want you to think about, you know, imagine yourself in the story. What would it be like? What would you have done? What would you have felt? 
or smelt? Or what would you have said to the people there? Okay, um, so I'm going to ask you to... Uh, oh, I know. That, I know why. That's because it's a different one. Oh, well. Um, so, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as we, as we do this one again here. Uh, yeah. And, and just enter into this story. This is a, like actually a spiritual practice that Ignatius would, would see. A lot of these narrative passages you can do this with. And you can just kind of enter into the story. It's, it's a way actually maybe even of praying the story. Um, so it's an, it's an imaginative experiment here. Um, so, so close your eyes. I'm going to read this passage again and um, see if anything jumps out to you from it as, as if you were experiencing this passage, as if you were there. You don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to, but you might. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus about her. Then Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she got up and began to serve them. As the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to Jesus. And Jesus laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Demons also came out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And at daybreak, Jesus departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowds were looking for Jesus, and when they reached Him, they wanted to prevent Him from leaving them. But Jesus said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. All right. So share with the class here, if you will, what's, what's something that maybe jumped out to you if you were there? If you experienced that, what would you see? What would you have felt? What would you have... Been, what, what would this scene have been like had you been there? So if he's in the synagogues, it's the Sabbath, right? Um, I think so. But I, I don't know for sure. Um, um, after leaving the synagogue... I think so, yeah. So this would have been after after the Sabbath, I think. I mean, like at the end. And so that's well, see, and, and, and this, that's the reason I'm asking. As, what? As, because as the, as sun, the sun was setting, right? Suggests that it's the end. The Sabbath is over at that right. point. Right, and so, but but I I, I think it's worth that becomes Saturday night. Right, but, but I, I I think it's worth start noting. getting active. Once right, the sun sets. Yeah. Well, but but they wait because it's they're like they see the they, they see him heal on the Sabbath, and then they're going. Wait a minute. If if he can heal Simon's mother, I've got a sick person at home. Right. But I can't go get him until the sun goes down. Right. But I, I, I that's that's just that's an interesting detail to me that suggests I gotta wait right. until everything is done so I can go home and get the sick person, even though he's Clearly, Jesus has been doing work on the Sabbath. Right. Everybody else is still going. Nope, six o'clock. Yeah. Gotta wait for six o'clock. Right. Gotta wait for six o'clock. 
And we see that later on, right? Yeah. He's talking about Lord of the Sabbath. What else? I think the power is him taking the mother-in-law as mm. um, one of the first, first people he heals because she's a female. Mm. Um, just knowing that from the mother-in-law, the matriarch, mm-hmm. they consider her that. We don't know much about that family, but um, seeing her suffer like that, like the young women like my age, being like, man, this, this man, right. Jesus, <laughs> is taking consideration of this mother-in-law and healing mm-hmm. her. And not just to the point where she's like better, but miraculously right. healing her. I mean, she's beginning to serve She gives up immediately and no serves her. Yeah. If she was like the matriarch, there are tons of people in there. I mean, she, it's like a complete miraculous mm-hmm. thing. What, yeah. a, what an incredible, I just, yeah. Thank you. You must be hungry after all that healing. <laughs> eat, eat. <laughs> I love that uh, shows us that Simon Peter was married as well. He has a mother-in-law. Um, what else? What are other things? We're running out of time, but can I go back to the very beginning? Yeah. Your lesson. Oh. With, with the wilderness. Uh, I don't know if anyone else saw this, but all in the same sentence, it, it appears the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus into temptation. <laughs> yeah. Think of the Lord's prayer. Lead us. Not right. Was it? Is that so? Mm. Or was he going? Was the spirit leading him to prepare? Uh, and temptation happened through the sole initiative of the evil one. Was he? What about? He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Um, also, I think we. Does that, uh, does that strike anyone as kind of interesting? I, here, here's one thing that I, I'm pivoting on that question a little bit. Uh, I, I admit that. And that's something I didn't point out. It's like, this is also it's totally echoes of Israel's story, passing through the Red Sea, their baptism through the Red Sea, and then them being led into 40 years of wilderness wandering. And then their, their failure in that wilderness wandering to really you know, even connect. And, and, but Jesus is led into these 40 days of, of wilderness and he is he's successful he's triumphant did, and, but the, 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 my question is did the spirit intentionally lead so here's the other thing is that in, in Israel they were led by a the spirit of God in the cloud right and then in the, the pillar of, of fire and the cloud of, of you know God's presence and there's this always this over and over there's this context of God's um, God's presence dwelling within Israel. I wonder if that is more this Holy Spirit's presence and dwelling with, with Jesus here. And I don't know that I can. I, I don't know what it says about God leading him into this temptation state. What I'm, what I'm, I see it more as him leading him into this place of, of testing, uh, and his, and then it's showing God's presence with him in that, even in in this. So I don't know. I don't know which chicken or egg comes first. I think the language would allow the latter. Uh, I haven't looked at it in the original, but I think the language would allow the latter of what you said. (coughs) And here's the this last couple of verses that comes but do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed him from an opportune for an opportune time. So is there a difference between testing and tempting? Well, I can remember Josh in one of his sermons. 
protest. Right. So I would put in place of that word, tempt, protest. Right. But I mean, the, the nuances are... So the Spirit was leading Jesus into a 40 days of testing. Or was the Spirit... Well, I, I think you can establish correlation, but that doesn't necessarily mean causality. Right. You know, um, or was the spirit with him present during his forty days? Oh, but but, it, but at the same time, what I think yeah, the text yeah. allows to be said that very point right there. So that I mean, I don't know. Yeah, correlation is a key. He was full of the spirit, and the spirit was in, was totally with him during a time of testing. Now again, this is kind of yeah. parsing the words a little bit too much, but it didn't. I don't think it said. Uh, it, the language seemed to allow for it to be that kind of understanding instead of saying that the Spirit actually pulled him into the desert for the purpose of the temptations. But I think where that comes down to the reason we're having this conversation is because when the rubber meets the road for us in our life, what is God doing whenever we face trials and temptations and tests? You know, my, my opinion is Spirit led him into the wilderness to prepare, mm -hmm. and the evil one saw an opportunity and what came at him with some, some temptation. Mm -hmm. But she was not successful. But but also, as as anybody that has gone through a traumatic experience of any sort knows, there are things that you understand if you've had cancer. If you've had a child die, if you've had this thing or that thing or whatever, that nobody except the people that that has happened to get it. There, there, are, there are questions that people who have had cancer can ask you that nobody, that not only does nobody else get to ask, nobody else would even imagine right. to ask. And so... If, if, if this doesn't happen to Jesus, then there's no reason to expect him to be able to understand what people that actually have to go through that every day are up against. Which makes this request in the Lord more authentic. Yeah. Don't, don't lead us into this. So one of the baseline things that I want to take away from my personal life and perhaps it's helpful to you is regardless of how we end up in a time of trial or temptation, God's Spiritual presence is with us in that. I don't know, you know, and I want to allow perhaps that God has led me to that place for my own good. But I don't like that, <laughs> you know. But but regardless of how I got get there, I think it's important for me to remember, and hopefully for us to remember as a community of faith, that God's presence is there with us in that time of trial and temptation, whatever it is. Thank you for being with us. We'll we'll continue on next week.